Six years ago, in February 2016, the refugee movement, backed by the union movement, went into battle to save a baby. Baby Asher was being treated in Brisbane's Lady Salento Hospital, but she faced deportation back to Nauru, where she and her family were being held in offshore detention for the crime of seeking asylum in Australia. Staff at the hospital said they would not discharge baby Asher until, quote, a suitable home environment is identified for the baby. Hundreds of refugee supporters backed by the Queensland Council of Unions organised a solidarity vigil and a blockade to prevent baby Asher from being removed from the hospital. The government backed down and released baby Asher into what they call community detention here in Australia, where as far as we know, she still remains. Today, baby Asher is presumably a primary school student, safe and growing up in relatively normal circumstances. But the fight for so many other refugees continues. The victory over baby Asher points to how the fight for freedom can be won. Today is the latest in our new segment of The Sound of Solidarity, entitled I Was There, where activists who have taken part in key struggles tell their story. I'm talking to Solidarity member Mark Gillespie, a long-term activist with the Refugee Action Collective in Mianjin, or Brisbane. And Mark was heavily involved in the Baby Asher campaign. You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity. We're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia, and if you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm David Glanz, and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Nam or Melbourne. So welcome, Mark. Uh, hi, Dave, and uh, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the land of the Chagara people uh, in Brisbane, uh, Mianjin. All right, well, let's start at the beginning. Why was baby Asha brought from Nauru to Lady Salento? What was happening with offshore detention in 2016? In um, 2016, the coalition government, which was then uh, led by uh, Malcolm Turnbull, were crowing about you know, how their hardline anti-refugee policy had you know, stopped the boats and that they had secured the borders you know, where labour had failed. In an attempt to, to prevent boats from ca- coming, the, the previous Labor government had got increasingly hard on refugees. You know, it reopened the Nauru and the Manus Island detention centres. It implemented the policy that they called the um, PNG solution, which was, you know, that uh, any refugees that came to Australia after July 19, 2013, that they'd never, ever be settled in in Australia. And this was all designed to try and uh, deter refugees uh, coming. But Labor's hardline policies essentially failed and and the boats uh, kept coming. Uh, The coalition was later um, in 2013 elected to power and uh, they they took over these uh, very harsh policies that Labor had introduced, but they added another layer to it. And that was that they started to tow back boats uh, to Indonesia. And they also uh, supplied the um, very uh, oppressive regime, uh, Rakshapaksha regime in uh, Sri Lanka, with Navy patrol boats uh, to prevent you know, Tamil asylum seekers from leaving Sri Lanka and coming to Australia. So, you know, with the combination of those sort of two policies, you know, towing boats back to Indonesia and 
supplying the Sri Lankan government with patrol boats meant that the that the, a lot of the boats you know failed to arrive in Australia. So you know the, the coalition were crowing about their success, but there was a uh, hidden uh, humanitarian cost to this success. You know there were something like over a thousand uh, refugees uh, still on Manus Island, and there was another over another thousand on the Nauru, and you know they were languishing in these uh, detention hell holes there. Now, the people that were detained on Nauru were a combination of uh, singles, um, single people, uh, single men, single women, and uh, also unaccompanied minors. And there was also a, a lot of families on Nauru. There was something like uh, 200 children detained on Nauru. Now, um, Nauru, if you have a look at it, at it on the atlas, it's about 50 kilometres from the equator. So it was stinking hot. And the the refugees at the, at the time were housed in these uh, tents, you know, that didn't have uh, windows. There was mould all over the tent because of the, the heat and the, and the moisture. The medical facilities on, on Nauru were really poor. The water supply was really poor. Other services were really poor. But, you know, even worse than the, the physical conditions that people had to live in, uh, you know, there was just the, the hopelessness that people, uh, that the refugees, the asylum seekers faced. You know? uh, even if they were found to be refugees, you know, they were told that they would uh, never, ever be uh, settled in Australia, that they would have to go and find another refugee settling country to take them, you know, which was essentially an impossible task. And because of these sorts of conditions, there's just this epidemic of depression, uh, self-harm, suicide temp- attempts, and, and much more. So that, that was the conditions that um, baby Asher and her family uh, were living in at the time. They, they lived, like others, they lived in a, a windowless um, tent. Uh, the only thing that separated from other families in, in under this big marquee was, you know, uh, canvas walls. Now, because of the... the the difficulties that Asher's mum had with uh, breastfeeding, the baby needed to be fed uh, formula. And and for the, that reason, the family were allowed to have a, an electric jug in their tent, tent. It was to heat the formula. Now, the baby was uh, just about one year, uh, one year old and was just learning to walk. Now, her father told me that it, it actually broke his heart to see the baby, you know, trying to uh, pull itself up by grabbing the side of the tent, which w- which was loose. You had this electric jug, uh, boiling water in the, in the tent, and a baby trying to learn to walk. You know, it was just a like an accident waiting waiting to happen, and that's that's what happened. Uh, baby Asher actually pulled um, some boiling water onto her, her and she suffered uh, accidental burns, and she was um, taken from Nauru to the uh, Lady Salento Children's Hospital in Brisbane where she was treated. But after she was treated and she was uh, clinically cleared to be uh, released, the the hospital staff, you know, the do- doctors and the nurses uh, refused to um, discharge her. And the reason they gave is that they wanted the child to be discharged into a, uh, a safe a safe environment. So that, that's, what, that's what happened in um, 2016. 
So tell us how the campaign took off. Did refugee activists lobby the doctors or had the doctors and other medical staff already decided to take a stand? Okay, uh, well, I'm not exactly sure, you know, uh, what communications people had with the doctors and, and the staff, whether you know, the activists were approaching them or whether they acted on their own initiative. But I think it's in, important to understand that the, the action didn't just sort of uh, drop from the sky. For quite a period, um, you know, activists had been trying to highlight the human cost of the offshore detention centres, you know. Uh, now, a lot of this um, highlighting of um, problems was centred on the mistreatment of children, but it wasn't just about children. It was about how they were also mistreating adults. As far back as uh, November 2013, there, w- there was another baby, baby Farouz, um, she was born in the Brisbane Marta Hospital, you know, her uh, born uh, prematurely and uh, her mother had been medevaced off the island uh, earlier and uh, she was the very first uh, baby born to refugees whose parents were still detained on Nauru. Now, when that baby came, the activists and the, and the lawyers, you know, um, publicised the plight of this family and campaigned really hard to prevent that baby from being uh, sent back to Nauru. That went in, into the courts and we actually lost that case in the court, but nonetheless, we were successful in preventing the government from returning that family to Nauru. Now, there were another, um, I think a couple of hundred uh, babies, you know, who were, who were later uh, born to refugee families on Nauru. And uh, they were in Australia and they too uh, campaigned uh, to prevent them from being sent back to Nauru, to Nauru had been successful. At the same time as you had the, the Baby Asher campaign kicking off in Brisbane, uh, there, there already existed another campaign called the uh, Let Them Stay, and that was referring to uh, 267 uh, refugees who had been brought to Australia uh, from uh, Nauru and Manus Island that the... Uh, uh, when they were brought, there was a, a high court case um, around whether uh, the detention centres were, were legal or not. We lost that case. Uh, so there was a campaign to prevent those uh, 267 um, people from being sent back. And people might remember that was when the, the different churches around Australia were offering uh, sanctuary to those uh, refugees to prevent them from being back, being sent back. Also, another important part of um, uh, raising awareness about the, the situation on Nauru was also you know, the whistleblowers who, uh, who worked there. You know, you had teachers, uh, you had nurses, social workers, doctors, uh, and more, you know, and after doing a stint on the island, they, they began to speak out about what they had seen. Uh, and this was in... Uh, we must remember too that speaking out uh, was a problem because at the time the government had the what they called the uh, Australian Border Force Act, which you know threatened people with uh, severe penalties if they if they did speak out. But you know the the activists you know uh, like the Refugee Action Collective and in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne and other places you know we organised public meetings for these whistleblowers. You know we put them uh, on our uh, platforms at rallies and we push their stories into the media 
Then there, in I think it was in November 2014, there were 24 uh, former staff members uh, and current staff members at the, the Nauru Detention Centre. Uh, they uh, released to the media an open letter alleging that there was uh, sexual abuse that had taken place on Nauru and, uh, and, and that the detainees had been uh, victims and that it also included children and they also alleged that there'd been a government cover-up of this. Now, when this letter uh, was released to the media, it really put the, the government on the uh, back foot. And the at, at the time, the uh, immigration minister was Scott Morrison, and he was forced uh, to uh, organise an, in, an inquiry. Another person who played an important role in raising awareness about the situation on, on Nauru was uh, Dr David Isaacs, uh, he was a Sydney uh, paediatrician who had spent time on Nauru and he was just absolutely shocked by what he saw. And he played a, uh, a role in uh, you know, pushing the story into the mainstream media. As well, he played an important role in uh, rallying uh, hospital staff uh, to the cause. Um, to give you some examples, um, in October 2015, um, this is a couple of months before the baby Asher thing. Thousands of healthcare workers around Australia use their lunch break um, to come outside of their hospitals at lunchtime, all holding these banners or saying uh, detention harms children. You know, there were rallies in like that in Sydney, Adelaide, Darwin, Brisbane, Newcastle, and there had been one uh, earlier, a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, in Melbourne at the Melbourne uh, Royal uh, Children's Hospital. The, the idea of uh, not releasing children back into, into to detention had already been discussed amongst uh, health professionals. When the staff at the Lady Salento Hospital you know, took, took their action, their courageous action, you know, it, it didn't just drop from the sky. You know, there was already an existing campaign. And I think the fact that there was an, an existing campaign gave them um, more confidence, you know, to take action. No, that makes perfect sense. Now, how long did the protest outside the hospital go on for? And tell us, what was it like to be there? Well, it, uh, the vigil went uh, 24 hours a day, and it lasted uh, for 10 days. Um, now, during that those 10 days, you know, we had numerous protests uh, at the hospital. You know, at one stage... Uh, High school students came down and had a rally. Another time there was university students came and had a rally. Mums for Refugees organised a rally and a children's entertainer to come down one lunchtime. Uh, and, you know, all, a lot of mums and toddlers uh, were there. Different faith groups organised a candlelight vigil at one stage. And, and importantly, you know, the trade unions organised a big rally there. Yeah, and well, the atmosphere was just electric. You know, um, yeah, you stood on the side of the road with a sign, and the traffic going past. You know, people were blasting their horns all the time. We actually we had to uh, ask people not to blast their horns because it was starting to upset people in the hospital. Thousands of people uh, in those ten days would have come down to the picket line. Some people came to spend an hour or two there, but some people came and they stayed. Uh, overnight. One Friday night, the Rohingya community came down, uh, set up a, 
a little stall and a tent and they fed hundreds of people uh, with their delicious um, curries. Um, you know, there, if you went down there, there was a table set up and there was never any shortage of cakes and drinks and food on the tables that different people, different supporters had brought down there. Uh, there, were, there were young people, old people, queers, artists, unionists, socialists, Greens, Labor Party members were there. Everybody was there and they were all united around a clear focus, you know, that this baby was not going to go back to Nauru. On the, on the second Saturday night uh, of, of the vigil, uh, there was a, um, a, a rumour circulated uh, that, the, the, that the government was going to try and uh, move the, uh, the, the baby out of the hospital. And so people got on their, on their phones, uh, on Facebook and different things, and there was a, an emergency uh, mobilisation and people came down and they, they intensified the, uh, the blockade of the hospital you know people came down on very short notice but they uh they any any vehicle trying to leave the hospital they stopped and they searched it you know there was one funny story where uh, a union official actually stepped out in front of a, a police car and politely asked them if it was okay if they searched the car and people came forward and they checked in the back to make sure that the baby wasn't in in the back of the police car now as it turned out, you know that uh, that rumor that the baby was going to be moved on that Saturday night was probably a false alarm. But you know, just the it just really demonstrated that the the determination that people had, you know, to make sure that that baby was not sent back. Fantastic story. Now you mentioned the involvement of the union movement. Bob Carnegie, who is the or was then the Queensland State Secretary of the Maritime Union, the MUA told the protest outside the hospital, if you move on Baby Asher, you move on 15,000 Maritime Union members. Stirring stuff. So why was the involvement of the unions so important? You know, they, were, they were crucial. Now, uh, Ros McLennan, uh, who was then the General Secretary of the Queensland Council of Unions, you know, visited the, the vigil on the very first night. And then after some discussion amongst uh, unionists, um, in, on the QCU, uh, they decided the unions decided to throw themselves fully into the campaign. Uh, they saw it as um, solidarity action with a, a group of workers who were were taking uh, action around an important issue. Now, just the fact I think that you know the the unions could wholeheartedly throw themselves into a campaign about refugees' rights shows just how broad the movement was starting to become. Uh, unions too, I think uh, we have to understand are strategically important. You know, when the union movement says something uh, is unjust, you know, there's a lot of ordinary working class people uh, will listen to what they've got to say. Uh, and also the union movement, you know, they can back up their words with economic clout if uh, push comes to shove. Now, the union networks... Uh, around the Baby Asher campaign, you know, were mobilised and, that, you know, they played a very important role in um, being the back backbone of the, the vigils that lasted, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, for, for 10 days. You know, a lot of their activists came down to stand there and make sure that that, that uh, vigil stayed stayed in place, you know. Now, at, at the end of the, the first week, uh, the, the unions organised a, a big rally outside the hospital 
and all the uh, different union banners were represented there and representatives from all the all the unions um, pledged you know that they were there for the long fight it was also at that rally where um, bob carnegie you know from the maritime union of australia that you mentioned earlier was at that rally where he he said that effectively you know <laughs> that the uh, the mua would close the australian waterfront if baby asher was touched you know and that that just made us feel you know so powerful you know it was re- uh, a wonderful morale booster you know and just really kept everybody prepared to fight until the end you mentioned in the period before the baby asher campaign that been the let them stay campaign and then in the period after there was the launch of the Kids Off Nauru campaign. So how do you see those events feeding one into the other? These protests outside the Lady Salento Hospital were just all over the national news and sometimes even on in the international news. And, and that really raised awareness about the abuse that was happening on Nauru. You know, before the campaign, you know, a lot, a lot of ordinary people probably wouldn't have even known wouldn't have even heard of Nauru, let alone known what was happening there. And now during this whole period that we were there protesting, you know, we always emphasised, you know, that this campaign was not just for baby Asher, uh, but it was for all the kids on the Nauru, Nauru, and it was also for all the adults on Manus and Nauru. You know, the slogan uh, that the the left wing of the campaign always argued, always push forward and the arguments we always push was kids off all off now um i think the the campaign for um baby asha laid a, a lot of the groundwork you know for um particularly teachers and their unions and and others you know to later get behind um what you mentioned you know the kids off campaign it was not long after that teachers began taking uh, actions with uh, selfies in their staff room saying uh, detention harms children. On um, Human Rights Day, uh, for example, in 2016, you know, there were just numerous schools around the country and uh, that involved you know, hundreds of uh, teachers across, across the country. You know, they all together participated in a uh, coordinated uh, photo action of that type, you know, uh, standing outside their school, being in the lunchroom, holding up signs saying, you know, uh, education, not detention, detention harms children, etc. You know, this movement amongst the teachers even built further and to the point where in, um, I think it was November 2018, uh, the teachers um, in Victoria and in Queensland actually uh, walked off the job to attend uh, kids off rallies, you know, that there had been industrial action to um, support support the campaign so you know the the momentum uh, was growing um it was then to um I just can't forget remember exactly when it was but world uh, vision initiated an online petition and i think there was you know one hundred and thirty thousand people signed it which you know was calling for the kids off you know there were large rallies in the capital cities uh which were calling for kids off all off um there were uh, something like 6,000 doctors signed an open letter that was demanding that um, the kids be uh, brought off, off Nauru. Even uh, three Liberal Party backbenchers at one stage were threatening to cross the floor and vote with the opposition uh, unless the kids were removed. 
so, you know, all this pressure was building and really it forced uh, Scott Morrison in February uh, 2019 to actually get all the kids off Nauru, you know. I think what the Lady Salento campaign did was it, it, it gave more people the confidence to act. The Baby Asher campaign, as you say, and then the Kids Off, All Off campaign showed we can win even under this horrible racist coalition government. And it's a reminder that policy can ultimately be decided on the streets, not in Parliament or in the courts. So what was it like to win and how can we do it again? Uh, Well, it was a a fantastic morale booster. Uh, And uh, uh, yes, it it does show that your actions can make a difference. And and I would say... um, most definitely, we can do it again. If you look at it, the the refugee rights movement has not had very much success in getting things changed through parliament or even uh, through the courts, you know. Uh, But we have had wins on the ground, you know. All the children and their families that, you know, once lived on Nauru are now living in the community in Australia. Uh, there's, There's lots of adults too, you know, who were once on detained on Nauru and Manus Island are also now living here in Australia in the community. In, in 2014, uh, Scott Morrison, at the time the Immigration Minister, he told the Australian Parliament that Reza Barati was killed outside the Manus Island uh, Detention Centre, as if uh, Reza was trying to escape. Now, Morrison uh, had to walk back from that lie after, and that was the reason why he walked back is because the refugee rights activists had produced so much indisputable evidence that he was actually killed inside the detention and was a victim of a vicious attack on the detention centre. It wasn't, he wasn't trying to escape at all. You know? Campaigning, uh, calling protests, organising public meetings, uh, putting out press releases, these things make a difference. And, you know, it can change the narrative. You know, Dutton decided not to send baby Asher back to Nauru because, you know, there was going to be a a huge um, political cost. You know, it was one level of cruelty, you know, that the the Australian people had decided that they wouldn't wear. So Dutton backed down. If you look at the reason why uh, Morrison got all the children off Nauru, it was for the same reason. It was coming. There was a political cost in, in keeping them there. You know, and I think we can we can win again if we understand the importance of exposing the inhumanity of their policies. You know, we can uh, we can win the argument with the, with the public, and we can challenge their dominant narrative about uh, refugees. Okay, as we speak, the election is probably three months away, and many refugee activists feel some div- somewhat divided. We all want to see the back of the coalition and we know Labour has said it will make some important changes like freeing the Medivac refugees into the community. But we also know Labour won't be dismantling the whole apparatus of mandatory detention. So how important is the election to you? Labour is also promising to scrap um, temporary protection visas. Now, this will make an enormous difference for thousands of refugees who are suffering in our community, you know, who, who for example, you know, they can't do uh, 
family reunion. They're separated from their families because on a temporary protection visa, you can't do family reunion. Um, there's also the other problem that these refugees have is they, their kids might uh, graduate and be ready to go to uh, study at university level, but they can't study at university level unless they pay exorbitant international fees. Also, you know, uh, what happens when you're on a temporary protection visa or what they call a, a CHEV visa, visa, a safe haven enterprise visa, uh, is that every three or five years you have to relive the trauma uh, of your case uh, because you have to again uh, reapply uh, for, for your visa. Labor too is uh, promising to accept um, uh, New Zealand's offer, you know, to take um, uh, something like uh, 150 refugees a year from Nauru and PNG. Now, you know, these things are, there, there is a real difference here. And it's important, I think, you know, that for that reason that we kick out Morrison and, and his lot and, and get Labor in. As far as I'm concerned, you know, people, if people want to uh, express their dissatisfaction uh, with Labor by voting for the Greens, that's fine. But I think it's very important to understand that the preference has to flow to Labor. But at the same time as understand you know, focusing on the elections, I think we, we also need to be clearly focused on, you know, what our are our demands, you know. You know, we want all the refugees free, you know, we want to close the offshore detention centres, we want to end mandatory detention, and uh, we want Australia to live up to its obligations under the UN the different UN refugee conventions and, and start welcoming refugees, you know. So it's um, it's be clear it's it's important to be clear that this is just not a it's just not a campaign about getting Labor over the line. It's about winning those demands that I just mentioned. You know, and hopefully Labor will win and you know we'll take from Labor what they give us, you know, but you know, we have to continue fighting on until we win all our demands. So on that note, what do you see the refugee movement doing and demanding in the next few months? There's still um, quite a few uh, sick refugees um, still being detained in the Park Hotel in Melbourne and, and other places. Um, these people have been locked up, uh, been in detention centre, in detention now, you know, in PNG and in Australia for over eight years, you know, um, we need to continue reminding the people that, that they are there and that they are suffering. Uh, we also have you know, thousands of people suffering uh, in our community who are living, living on uh, temporary protection visas. Now, many of these people are from Afghanistan and they can't bring their families to Australia, can't bring their families to safety because they're on temporary protection visas. You know, again, we need to highlight that inhumanity and uh, also you know we can't forget about the the people still left behind on uh, PNG and in, in Nauru and in and in my opinion over the next period that's what we need to be focusing on. Thanks so much Mark I'd encourage everybody who's listening to make sure they're following the refugee campaign on Facebook in their local city so that's in Melbourne Refugee Action Collective in Brisbane Refugee Action Collective, slightly confusingly in Sydney, it's Refugee Action Coalition. And there are similar groups around the country and in 
in rural areas, there's rural Australians for refugees because there will be protests, there will be rallies right up to the election, taking the fight to the Liberals and putting pressure on Labour to actually make their promises stick and to ensure that we keep on fighting after the election to push Labour much further than they're prepared to go. So on that note, thank you for your time, Mark. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for asking me.